Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, it's been my profession to connect with people's stories. And when you think about it, it's the conversations that we have with ourselves and with others that truly shape us. It's through exploring these stories that we start to find a pathway around the magnificent and the remarkable question. So what does it actually take to live a standout life? Throughout this podcast, I sit down with influential women and a few good men, and we chat about how they live a life of purpose while still making progress. We dig into their stories, both the successes and the struggles, and in doing so, we get some amazing insights into what it takes to live big and ultimately how they've found the wins in this crazy, busy world. So let's dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. In this episode, I sat down and had a conversation with Libby Trickett, three-time Olympian, media personality and all-round delightful icon of Australia. I'm literally grinning from ear to ear from our conversation because I felt like we just could have kept going and kept going. And we spoke about all sorts of things from her career across the three Olympics, from her decision to actually retire after the first two Olympics that she went to, and the impact that that had on her and her own experience with mental health at that time, that not only had an impact on her physically, mentally, but also on her relationships. And she was very honest and open about talking about that And she also spoke about now her new role as a Queensland mental health ambassador, how this is part of the conversation that she wants to bring to people wherever you are, whether you're working in your own jobs or you've just had a baby and you're struggling with this yourself, that these are the conversations that we need to have. She spoke about that identity shift and how she had been so tightly bound to the identity of being an elite athlete and being a swimmer that when it came to retiring, it was so hard to actually figure out who she was. And uh, she now, in, in our conversation, she literally beamed with delight at, I guess, the curiosity and the ongoing pursuit for her to find who she is now that she's come out of the swimming pool. I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did sitting down with Libby. As I said, she's just a delightful soul and you'll get plenty of insights that are going to be relevant to wherever you're at in your life. So sit back and relax and enjoy the conversation with Libby Trickett. Libby, welcome to the studio. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Look, I want to start by asking you, or I guess describe to me, what was it like um, having been to three Olympic Games to actually sit down in 2016 to watch the Rio Olympics oh. and being this the first of the four Olympics that you weren't actually at. What was that like for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's... um. It was really hard, if I'm honest. Um, I, I have a, a one-year-old daughter and, you know, most people would probably expect that, you know, even though I might have kind of wished to be there that, oh, well, you know, it's all wonderful because you have a, a little girl at home and definitely that's part of it. But if I'm perfectly honest, it's it's so different. Uh, you know, who I was as an athlete uh, really just can't be compared to motherhood. Um, it's so different on so many levels and, you know, the the competitiveness and the the drive and the passion that I had for swimming and the adrenaline and swimming at that level, on that stage and um, the, the chance to have that success, uh, 
Is Did that, it all come back for you? Like, yeah, were you watching no. the opening ceremony going, oh, I remember what that was like? Yeah, and, yeah. And it, it, you know, I, I rode the highs and the lows. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing Mac Horton and Kyle Chalmers win gold and the girls in the 4 by one freestyle, you know, having been a part of that relay previously. Um, is there a sense of ownership where you kind of, like, is there a pride in, oh, I know, because you must know them, yeah, a, lo- yeah. a lot of them so Abs- well as well and absolutely. know their story to even get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're so, like, as an Australian and a, a, a lover of sport, I was so proud of all of them. But then, you know, there's, there was the lows and, you know, I have a number of guys that I, I still know and, and get to see regularly um, and to see the disappointment that they experience because I've had that as well at the Olympic Games. So it was really interesting to watch and, and to experience and kind of to accept mm. um, because I, I was hoping to, like, work on the Olympics on some level, but it was actually probably a positive thing that I didn't because I got to watch it as a lover of of sport and 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 really enjoy it on that sort of spectator level not not in work mode but not in, in just in personal mode you, you can't kind of and it sounds probably very lame and dramatic but you do have to kind of grieve that part because you you've left that 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 is you know done for me that part of my life is is over um so it was kind of almost like a grieving um cathartic process I can imagine I can imagine you can as much as you can prepare yourself and you've got four years to prepare yourself right (laughs) you know it's coming (laughs) but um that moment of actually yeah as I say seeing the opening ceremony Mm. or seeing the swimmers actually stand on the the podiums must be you know to actually go through that and and have that grief and that memory and and all of those emotions and and I think importantly um and I think the wonderful result at the end of that was the appreciation for my own career and to really, it was probably the first real moment that I got to acknowledge what I did and what I was able to achieve and be really proud of that. Um, And that's probably the first time in my whole career that I've been able to do that. yeah, right. And so what what was different about that appreciation than you've had before? Because when you're an athlete, you're just constantly pushing forward. You're constantly looking ahead to see what is the next goal that you can achieve, the next personal best or the next medal or the next achievement. Um, So you never have a moment to look back and go, wow, that was really cool. (laughs) Yeah, people don't normally do this, right? exactly. I'm I'm really proud of that. Um, So when you're doing that, uh, you don't have that opportunity because you're constantly driving, pushing, um, trying to, to achieve the next goal. But um, And then when you first retire, it's kind of you, you just, I don't think you can appreciate it until a little bit later because you, you kind of are still in that probably slightly uh, athlete mindset where, oh, that wasn't quite enough or I wish I had done this differently or that differently or I had achieved X, Y or Z. Um, if only there was an eight, eighth day in the week. Only, like I could exactly have done that, more. If only yeah. opportunities um, uh, are swirling around your head. So I think four years on and getting to see the Olympics as someone who's now been to it. You know, when I was 15 and I watched the 2000 Olympics, I'd never been there, but I was aspiring to go. So, you know, at 31, I got to watch it as an adult and having the experiences that I have, you realise you, you get 53 seconds every four years to have that opportunity to win a gold medal. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, like that is Yeah, and crazy. I, I probably have never appreciated what a small opportunity that is. And the fact that I was able to 
achieve that and, you know, go to three Olympic Games, um, something as a 15-year-old I just never would have imagined I could have achieved. So, yeah, I think I kind of grew up and and had a, and also just let myself appreciate it because I think for a long time you kind of go, well, that, don't be, you know, up yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> Australian, right? Like, just going, right. how good am I? I'm yeah. three Olympic Games. I totally smashed that. Yeah, I smashed that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I kind of let myself and appreciate, yeah. appreciate the achievements. So. Look, I think it's such an important point because so many, we do, and, and as Australians we do have this, like, don't be a wanker, just yes. like, you know, talk it down, talk it down. It wasn't, and if only I'd done more and I didn't quite, like, yeah. sure, I went to three, but I didn't go to four. And exactly. I didn't go Lisa Jones went to four, right. so she's better than me. There's always another comparison <laughs> exactly. and it doesn't matter what world, whether you're in that elite sports or um, just even in our working world, I Absolutely. think we do the same thing. And so... It's so powerful to actually stop and give yourself even it's just a little high five. Right? Yeah, <laughs> just a little pat on the I back and go, hey, that, that was actually really cool and you should be proud of it. Yeah, and I'm wondering if some of the pride comes from knowing the challenges that you also went through. And you mentioned before, you know, seeing the challenges that those those athletes face themselves. Yeah. What was that like going through some of those challenges in such a public way? Yeah, it's... um. It's interesting because it's kind of, it's been part of my life probably for at least half of my life. You know, I I first made my Australian team when I was 18 um, and, yeah, sort of swimming was in a real golden era at that time, you know, with Ian Thorpe's and it was off the back of um, the 2000 Olympics. We had Susie O'Neill and Kieran Perkins and um, all of those massive names. It in, was a really exciting sport. time. It was really like ex- it was, yeah. yeah, it was a big part of the Olympics, wasn't it? It was. It was, a, it was a wonderful time to be part of um, of swimming and obviously the Olympic movement. And, um, yeah, it was, It's it's been... On one level, challenging because, uh, you know, you kind of feel like you can't um, put a foot wrong and that's a lot of pressure when you're 18 and probably still learning about yourself and still understanding the type of person that you want to be and what you want to achieve, not only in swimming but outside of that and, you know, understanding your relationships outside of the pool as well. Where does that pressure come from? Um, On some level, you feel it whether it's in your mind or not, um, you sort of feel it from uh, that expectation from society and from the media and swimming has a great standing in the Australian public's eye. Well, mm. it used to probably more so than it does now a little bit. Held up in high regard, yeah, you're a role model. It you're was, right, and yeah, yeah that, that idea that we're role models and that's something that always felt like a lot of pressure because I really wanted to live up to that. I I really wanted to be a good role model. I really wanted to be a good person and treat people with kindness and respect. Um, And and to be honest, I've I've been really lucky. Um, I've had really mostly I can probably count three times that I've had a negative experience in terms of the media or anything like that. And that's pretty... um, pretty amazing I guess to have spent that long in the public eye and and only have that few amounts of negative experiences but I've I've been really lucky with the 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 amount of support that I've received from the public as well and so yeah on some level it has felt like a lot of pressure but on the, to be honest probably the majority of of what I feel is is just gratitude and and real luck that I was able to do what I did and have a passion and be able to 
um, achieve and be successful in, in something that I loved so much and that I got to share it with a, a lot of people. Yeah. Was it always swimming? Was that always your thing? How did you get into it? Uh, um, I always swam. I always did lots of sports. I I just loved being active as a kid. I grew up in Townsville and, you know, it's really hot up there. What so, else do you do, right? Yeah, yeah you <laughs> need to be in the water yeah. at all times. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I grew up just playing all sports, but swimming was probably the one that I just always really loved. It was... Um, yeah, I just felt at home in the water. And I think pretty much I joined my first club when I was four years old and had my first club night. And as soon as I had that first club race, uh, I realised that I was absolutely hooked. Um, really? So yeah. it was that early? You were yeah, really young um, to racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very important um, distinction because I loved racing. I loved challenging myself. I loved trying to go faster. Um, and that really is what drove probably the whole passion behind swimming. Um, it took me a really long time to learn to love training and that if I right. trained really hard, then I'd race really fast. Um, that took a, a number of years past obviously four years old. Um, and I was probably a little bit of a late bloomer in that respect. But um, yeah, I, I'm glad the way that it all turned out because I think I had a pretty good longevity in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, three three Olympic Games, which is just phenomenal for, for any athlete in any yeah. kind of area, but it must have been amazing. And with that, um, you've had four Olympic golds, five Commonwealth Games golds, and I understand about seven World Championship yep. golds as well. Yep. Um, so plenty of golds <laughs> flying around. Yes. Is there any of those that stand out for you? Ah, uh, ooh, that's a really good question. Um I mean, obviously, it's it is really hard to go past an Olympic gold medal. So, um, and I've got four very different experiences um, with that. Uh, and so, and and next to that, you know, it's really hard to go past an individual gold medal because, as a swimmer, that's kind of the dream, the goal, the um, aspiration. As any swimmer, is to win an individual gold um, in the sport. So, the hundred fly in Beijing was probably. Uh, a real highlight. Um, but having said that, uh, you know, my very first gold at the Olympics in Athens in 2004 was the first day, our first event, um, my first Olympics, uh, and we come away with a, a gold medal and a world record and I got to share it with um, three wonderful women um, who I was very proud to swim alongside. Uh, you know, Jodie Henry, Alice Mills, uh, who's Alice Tate now, and uh, Patria Thomas. And, yeah, just to be able to sing the national anthem, it's something that I didn't appreciate the gra um, the gravity of that achievement, I don't think, because I don't think you can at 19. Um, but, yeah, that was a really special moment and to sing the national anthem and experience that was really, really special. And then, yeah, the medley relay in Beijing was a com completely different experience as well. And, yeah, so proud of, of that achievement. Yeah, so. yeah. Why was that one? Uh, well, we'd all had a really up and down meet. Even though I'd won gold in the 100 fly, I'd, I'd stuffed up my 100 freestyle and went terribly in the 50 freestyle, um, which was the same day as the medley relay. And the other girls in the relay, Lisa Jones, um, Emily Seabom and Jessica Shipper, we'd all had up and down meet as well. So Lisa had won the 100 breast but gotten silver in the 200, which was a she was a favourite for. Emily had missed the 100 backstroke final. 
uh, and Jess had gotten third in both the 100 and 200 races, which, you know, she was kind of favourites for in that event as well. So we'd had a really up and down mate. I'd just swum the 50 freestyle and came away with fourth, oh, um, which was the first time I hadn't meddled in that event <laughs> yeah, right. um, since I'd made the team in 2003. How did that feel? Uh, that That's my most disappointing race right. of my career. Yeah, that was the, that the most, yeah, the most gutted I've ever felt. Yeah. And I had 15 minutes to kind of refocus and uh, get myself ready for the 4x1 medley relay. So what do you do? Like, what do you do with that 15 minutes? Well, I was really lucky that I had great teammates. So I walked into the marshalling area and said, I'm going to really need your help. And, um, you know, Lisa and Em and uh, Jess were all wonderful. They just sort of saw me, gave me a hug and said, yep, let's just focus on the next thing. And we laughed and we giggled and... um, and we were really silly in the marshalling area, which is one of our great distraction techniques. Humour is yeah, beautiful. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And uh, we all s- stepped up and, you know, M swam a personal best relay split, um, Jess swam a personal best relay split, Liesl swam a personal best relay split and I swam a personal best too. And we walked away with the world record and the gold medal. Wow. Um, and that was for me, yeah, I think... As much as I had dreamt about the 100 butterfly for all the 100, well, winning a gold medal, it was probably more in the 100 freestyle than I dreamt about it, but the 100 butterfly um, that I got it in, uh, you can't ever wish for much more than that moment with those girls and and getting to share that experience. the story that comes with that, that 15 minutes of just jam. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, and... uh, yeah, I think, again, the message for, for other people when you you must, because everyone has their moments of yes. hitting hitting the brick wall, whatever it is, but to be able to rally the people around you, ask for help. Ask you need for help. <laughs> find humour where you can. Absolutely. And know you can step up again is, is really powerful. Yeah. So you stepped away from swimming for a period of time yeah. um, and announced your retirement and then fairly quickly went back to swimming. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> what was behind, I guess, the decision to retire? And then what was that journey like to then step back in? To yeah, it was um, a really difficult uh, year 2010 for me. Um, so in 2009, after the World Championships, I, I had really had enough of swimming. I, I, I was burnt out. It's a, a lot How of... How did you know? Like what were some of the signs of, for you to go... Um, I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. Um, I didn't have the passion and the drive, which for many years, day in and day out, was there. Um, I didn't know what else I wanted to achieve in the sport and I'm not a personality who can kind of do things by halves, so it wasn't like I could just step away from the sport. I couldn't just have a year off or, you know, train a little bit. It was like all or nothing. That's kind of my personality. Um, so it just felt like I needed to retire. I needed to get away from the sport. I really, throughout my swimming, have wanted to know that I wasn't just Libby the swimmer. I wanted to be something else outside of it. So I needed to f- explore what I was outside of, of swimming. Because I can imagine that identity. I mean, even 
what we do is so tightly wrapped around who we are. Yes. That first question people yeah, ask exactly. you, is say, hey, what do you do? Yes. Um, and so I imagine that that identity as a swimmer, having come off to Olympic um, games, it just being, I can only imagine your number one focus, even when you're resting, even when you're on holidays, I'm yeah. doing this because my body needs to so that I can get back yeah. and get into it's, swimming. It's all consuming. There's n- there's no sort of off days, mm. y- even though you might have a sleep in or Sundays are off. You still are, you, oh, I can't go out with you to the beach because I'll be in the sun all day and, you know, training tomorrow I'll have to, you know, get up and make sure that my body's physically ready. And when you are in that space where you are striving for that elite level, those little things really make a massive difference to your performance in training, which will ultimately affect your outcome at your the end of the season. 53 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that to me was a sacrifice worth making but by 23 24 you know all those years you you kind of get to a point where it's not worth sacrificing anymore and you want to go to your um uh, friend's wedding or you want to go to that 21st birthday party or whatever it might be and sort of those sacrifices that you do have to make even though at the time they're not sacrifices they're decisions they're choices that you make but they eventually become sacrifices and you just don't want to do that anymore. Cumulative so, effects. So how exactly. do you go, how do you start to find out who you are away from the, well, the swimming pool? Well, I did it very well <laughs> the very first time around. I, um, it was a really, uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I realised how much my identity was wrapped up in, in my swimming and um, I had no idea how to value myself outside of that. If I wasn't swimming, if I wasn't winning medals and... Um, uh, striving to achieve every day and pushing my body physically, I really struggled to know what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and how I could add value to the world. Um, and that that was really hard. And, you know, I, I rebelled against everything. I stopped pretty much all form. No, yep, all forms of exercise were done. And, right. <laughs> um, but I didn't stop eating for training 35 hours a week. So um, in a period of about 10 months, I put on 10 kilos and um, became, I spiralled into a depression and that affected my relationship with my husband and my friends and my family. And um, yeah, we, I, we split up for six months, my husband and I, um, because we weren't on the same wavelength and I was in a very negative space. Um, was there other things you were doing at that time or was I, it? I was kind of working. Um, I was doing some work with Channel 10 at the time and, you know, I was afforded these wonderful opportunities because of what I'd done in swimming, which for me I kind of go, but I'm not worth that. Like I have no experience in in media or, you know, other than obviously working with it within swimming confines. But... Um, had no experience in working behind the scenes and I didn't feel like I was worthy of, of that opportunity because I just, I'd swum good. <laughs> and then, you know, I got given this opportunity, which, and so then I felt self-de- frustrated that I didn't feel appreciative towards yeah, that right. opportunity. So it's a big spirally mess, yeah. <laughs> basically. And a lot of that in our own heads. Yeah, it's right? all in our own heads. Yeah. And, you know, instead of trying to embrace and, and work on that opportunity, I just, I, I fell to pieces and didn't want to get out of bed. You know, physically I was um, in a really bad way and um, felt very depressed. And so part of the, um, and more than anything, I felt lost. I didn't know where I was. I felt like I was a bit in a bit of limbo, um, not quite ready to take on 
the world um, outside of swimming but and certainly not ready to let go of swimming. So it was a really weird place to be in. So, What were uh, some of the thoughts at that time like around like what am I going to do, where am I at? I, am to I... be honest, I don't even know if I had those thoughts because I, I couldn't get there. Yeah, I couldn't get past the fact that, oh, if I can't swim then if I'm not swimming because I'd made the decision not to swim, with it, which is probably a, a bit um, of a weird place to be. But if I'm if I'm not swimming, who am I, and and I'm am I even worth anything? Mm. Like I, I felt very worthless at the time. Sounds like it was um, as much around stepping away from what I don't want anymore, but not having yet exactly. Had. Yep, this is what I'm moving towards. Yeah, and I was studying, and I had done some study, so. It's not like I I didn't have things outside, but I didn't know what my passion was. And I think you see that particularly um, with the, uh, um, without sounding wanky, with the really high um, achievers in sport, the ones who are the elite um, at the, the highest level and are achieving at that highest level. I was only swimming and I was really lucky that I had um, sponsors to um, allow me not to work. Um, I could just focus on my swimming, um, which was amazing because it allowed me to achieve what I wanted to in the sport. But it also meant that I didn't have to work. So I didn't start to try and explore different things that I might be interested in and I might have a passion in um, outside of the sport. So, and as well, even though I was trying to be good and not be just Libby the swimmer. I was studying outside of it. It was sort of probably more just to say that I'm studying. Bit of a token effort rather than anything. It was a token anything. effort, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So the impact on your relationship? It, yeah. yeah that, I had a massive in, impact on my relationship and uh, Luke um, has was a swimmer as well. So on some level he really did understand. Um, but two things, he... he he found a passion outside of swimming that he was already working on while he was still swimming. And so when he retired, he was able to transition quite smoothly, um, which was frustrating to me because I really wanted that transition as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was there a part of him going, well, it's easy, you just do it this way, um, (laughs) or without verbally maybe saying that? I think on some level um, he... He really did understand, um, but he'd al- already gone through probably a grieving process because he didn't quite achieve what he wanted to in swimming. So he had found this new passion, and it was just all of his energy was driving towards that. So, um, yeah, I think he, he found it difficult because I was very volatile emotionally, um, and he wanted to support me, but it was a difficult time um, for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my yeah, emotion, yeah. my <laughs> emotions. I was in a glass case of emotions. Oh my god. <laughs> When you're in that that pit, right, and someone says, oh, "How can I help you?" I'm like, bugger off! Yeah, like, exactly. What you here? I'm fine. I I'm totally fine. I basically just wanted to be by myself, yeah. and that was a really, um, really difficult thing for him to to try and support me through. Mm. But that's why I decided to come back. <laughs> that's why I only spent ten months out of the water, and um, I needed to get routine again. I needed to be in my comfort zone. Um, I needed to push myself physically. Uh, I needed to exercise. I needed to lose the weight that I'd gained. Um, These are all the things that I needed to do and the only way I knew how to do that was to go back to swimming and that's why I came back and I had a very clear goal. In the real world, there are no clear goals. It's all grey. <laughs> Everything's grey. <laughs> give me that black line yes, in a pool. Uh, tell and me I'm what to do. I, as a swimmer, one of my probably greatest traits was I 
was told what to do and I'd do it bloody well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd coach. do more. Yeah. I would add to it. But um, in the real world, you have to decide for yourself what you're going to do and you have to work out how you're going to do that. Um, and there's no one to tell you exactly what the steps are to get there because there are no exact steps to get there. Everyone's journey is different and, you know, you can go left, right and zigzag all the way to the top or you, you know, can go right for five years and then all of a sudden realise that you need to go left. And mm. that's the journey to the same place that you yeah. want to get to. Which is both freedom and completely suffocating. Exactly. You know, I think I see kids who leave high school and then go to university and it's like everything's so structured at high school. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, you can go to your lectures if you want, or you can watch it online. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> That's right. Or I could go to happy hour. Exactly. Right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. So it was, it was a challenge, but I'm really... I was really proud of the decision that I made to come back to swimming. Was it different when you came back? Massively different. I, I Everything was hard. Everything was challenging. All the things that were easy when I was 21 were no longer easy when I was 25, 26, 27. Um, I had to lose 10 kilos, which I'd never experienced in my swimming Um and, you know, the, the girls were fast and <laughs> they were really competitive and that was challenging um, both kind of emotionally um, but it was challenging physically obviously as well. So um, it was a really good experience. I, I managed to achieve the goal that I'd set, which was to make the London Olympic team. It wasn't exactly in the way that I'd hoped it to be, um, qualifying only for the relay. And I say only in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you've had the career that you've had in the variety of places. Yeah, and, exactly. It's yeah. kind of, again, you kind of go, oh, well, that's not enough. It's never enough. No, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, ultimately looking back on that experience, I'm really proud of what I was able to achieve because it was incredibly challenging and as well I really value it because I think it's prepared me for my second retirement. Um, so how was your second retirement? I'm doing it better. Yeah, good. <laughs> a Bravo. lot better, a lot better. You didn't run to Rio. No, yeah. well, to, to be honest, I was actually planning to go to Rio. Yeah. I had every intention of going, um, but I injured my wrist three months after London um, when I was training and um, it was a, a, a full tear of my scaphoelunate in my wrist, which required a full wrist reconstruction. Um, and I thought I would be able to come back from that and 10 months after the operation um it still wasn't right and I just knew that at 27 I think I, yeah I was 27 at the time and after already a year out of the water it was just going to be too difficult and again those sacrifices and you know which coach to go to and I wasn't willing to move and all of those things come into play you know if that had happened at 21 100% I would have worked through it but at 27 and being proud of what I had achieved already, you kind of realise that it's it's, it's probably the universe telling you right. it's time to move on. <laughs> I'm which listening. I, again, I'm <laughs> grateful for because I think if it left to my own devices, I would probably still be swimming. Yeah. <laughs> probably not well, but I'd probably still be swimming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you still swim now just Definitely. for your own enjoyment? Yeah, absolutely. I still try and swim once or twice a week. Only, it, like I said at the beginning, it's like going home for me. It's like being um, in a really peaceful space. It's almost like meditation. Um, I'm a kind of a high energy person. So sitting and, and meditating, uh, I've, I definitely value, but I can't do that for long stretches of time. Um, so I find my greatest meditation is through movement and using my body. And that's when I get most out of my head. Um, and that's where I find I can center myself the most. 
I hope that you're soaking up all that is Libby. Be sure to catch next week's episode where I catch up with Carolyn Creswell, the founder and owner of Carmen's Foods and one of Australia's highest profile business women. I think I'm always trying to be that step ahead of saying, all right, how can I improve myself? How can I be better? How can we evolve Carmen's? And so I just always see there's opportunities. You know, we've got amazing new products that we're launching next year. We've just found out yesterday we're having a huge new Rangers accepted. We're doing a huge push into China. Um, it's going to be hard, but it's just an exciting opportunity. And if it doesn't boom, well, that's okay too. You know, I think sometimes we think that everything has to be a success or a failure. And I think, you know, you know, when I won the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year, I always tell people I entered 16 times. There's 16 times I didn't win it, right? But that was just, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Water off a duck's back. I'll just try again next year. But for now, let's get back to our chat with Libby. So you've become this year as you know your identity is shifting and changing, and one of the um, one of the caps that you've put on is to become the Queensland Mental Health Ambassador. Yes, um, and some of that I imagine is through your your own experience. Totally. What's that been like stepping into that space, and what what are you most passionate about when it comes to mental health? Um, I'm I'm so thrilled with this opportunity. Um, I'm most excited because it's, it is what I'm passionate about and I've found a passion outside of swimming, um, which I never thought I would kind of get to. Surprise. So, I know, <laughs> I know. It's so, uh, it's so humbling and it's, um, you just want to throw everything at it. <laughs> uh, so I think for me the, the thing that I am hoping to achieve most with this role is to talk about it, just talk about mental health and mental health issues and um, the challenges that we face as human beings because we all will face obstacles in our life. We will all have to deal with relationships and becoming parents or illness and stress and anxiety and um, burnout at work. And these are all things that everyone across the board will deal with probably at some point in our lives. Um, and if we can just talk about what we're experiencing, if we can just break down those barriers, you know, to to pretend that we're living these perfect lives and, you know, we're all coping with everything at all times. Totally. Totally. It's just not true. No. And, you know, if I... You know, I feel like a bit of a fraud um, being given this role because, you know, on some level someone of my uh, experience and what I've been able to achieve in the past, people are generally surprised that I may have experienced depression at times in my life or, you know, they kind of have this idea that it's all perfect and it's all easy. And the reality is it's not because I'm a human being and I'm flawed and imperfect and, you know, I've had challenges that I've had to overcome, but one of the things that I really find important for me is to talk about it. And when I talk about it, it I'm not carrying the problem by myself anymore. And it just feels like I've weight, lifted a weight off my shoulders. And, you know, if I can encourage or give permission to other people to talk about their own experiences, then, you know, I just hope that adds value to their lives and, and maybe makes them think a little bit differently about their experiences. And, gives them an opportunity to ask for help. Um, yeah, that more than anything, I just want people to ask for help because you're not weak, you're not, um, you're not suffering alone. There are so many other people with your experiences and, um, yeah, if I can help people and encourage people to do that, then that's, I'll feel 
wonderful about myself. Don't fully be everyone. It's a completely selfish thing, the completely selfish role that I'm doing because I feel I very it. good about I it. I love it. It's such an such powerful um, conversation that we just need to keep keep totally. having. And, yeah. and we can feel like we've got it all together today, but tomorrow might be a very, very different exactly. day. So what are, if you were to sum up, like what are three things that have helped you, um, even now with your mm. own kind of mental health, what are those almost non-negotiables that you know okay. you have to do? Um, Sleep. <laughs> when I uh, first had uh, my daughter, she was a pretty good sleeper until about four months of age, and then she decided to wake up and never go to sleep again. <laughs> um, so for a period of about five months, she was waking every forty-five minutes, um, and that really took me to the edge of postnatal wow, depression. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think I was definitely suffering from postnatal exhaustion, which is very similar symptoms. Um, but yeah, I was in a very bad place. So for five months, that was pretty hectic and. I had to put my hand up and ask for help and we got a sleep um, consultant in and which, you know, sort of tore at all of my values and I wanted to do attachment parenting and I was co-sleeping and, um, you know, doing all these things that I thought I should do um, to be the perfect parent that I mm. could be, um, but I was sacrificing me and all of that. Um, was it hard to ask for help? Yeah, absolutely, because I have you know, close family and friends who are kind of against sleep consultants and sleep training and, you know, obviously there are so many and they'd controversial been, topics that, yeah, they, you know, they'd vocalise that to you? Uh, yeah, uh, on occasion, yeah. <laughs> which was really challenging. Uh, and not only that, but there are there are uh, parents out there who are very staunch in their views on how you should parent and the, the way that you should do things and it should only be co-sleeping or it should only be baby-led weaning or it should only be cried out or it should only be... Oh, my God, um, and they're happy to tell you, yes. aren't they? Like, and like I think what I've realised is that... Yeah, and probably the biggest challenge that I found with that transition into parenthood was that my daughter Poppy is an individual and I had all these ideas of who she was going to be and how she was going to be and she was going to sleep like an angel um, and she's going to be, you know, a very calm baby that I could just take to the cafe and we'd sit for an hour and I'd have a coffee and she'd just sit happily playing and she's not that. She's completely the opposite. I thought she was going to come out blonde and she was a brunette, like all of these <laughs> things that she's challenged me on. Oh, the expectations, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And... Um, I've realised that I have to accept her as she is and um, I also needed to not forget my health um, physically and mentally. So, yes, sleep is a really important part of that and um, we needed to make sure that we got that, um, got assistance and got help with that. And I'm glad to say that she sleeps really well now. Fantastic. And And you are sleeping well. I'm sleeping really well as well. Um, uh, Exercise is a really big thing. Um, for me and my mental health, I need to exercise as regularly as I can. Right now, it's not that regularly as I would like because of life, and that happens from time to time. But if I'm feeling particularly stressed out, uh, I work with my husband to work out a time that I can go and exercise, and we're just doing little circuits at home together after Poppy's gone down to sleep. Um, just to make sure that I'm keeping active as much as I can. I walk regularly. These, this is really challenging as an athlete because I used to be the personality that if I don't have time to do two hours exercise, like a two-hour block of workout, 
I'm like, why would I bother? Pointless. Yeah, unless totally it's pointless. Way, and I've got to be almost spewing at the end. <laughs> totally. And so the idea of going for a walk for me as exercise so was so <laughs> far removed from what yeah. I had experienced. But is it liberating though? Like, is there totally. a part of it though where you can almost see yourself and giggle and go, it's okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just I can't believe how far I've come. Yeah. Like in terms of those ideas that was just so strong in my view. Like I just, I, yeah, I just couldn't believe that I now go, well, going for a walk for half an hour in the morning is part of my exercise regime. Um, you know, I get to get some sunshine and uh, yeah, so I really enjoy that now. Um, but exercise is a really big part of my life and it will always be. And, you know, once Poppy um, is, you know, of school age and I'm able to have a little bit more time to myself, I'll probably up the exercise again. Um, and then the other big thing that I had all through my life, uh, all through my swimming and certainly now in the real world, is I talk to a psychologist regularly. Um, and I think a lot of people have really strong ideas for and against talking to professional people. Um, but I know for me, having someone who is completely objective um, and separate from my personal life and I can just talk to about dreams, goals, aspirations, frustrations, um, <laughs> disappointments, sadness that I might be experiencing at any time, uh, I think that's really important and allows me to function at that higher level um, and, you know, I think we see a doctor for our physical ailments and I think going to see a, a professional, whether it be counsellor or psychologist, um, it's part of our mental health and we need to make sure that we're taking care of both. Yeah, I mean, clearly I'm a psychologist, so I'm going to yeah, be awful, yeah, like, <laughs> all for that, right? <laughs> but it's, um, I think it's completely true and it kind of ties into the stereo, the the. Oh, stereotypes the wrong word, but it's almost the stigma is the word I was thinking of around mental health is that when something's wrong, then it has to be really, really bad to go and talk to a psychologist. Yeah. And I remember I had a friend of mine, he couldn't really understand what I did. And then one day he turned around and said, oh, you're just a head mechanic. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel like that's a really great summation because yeah. it's like, well, yeah, you come to, you bring your car for a tune up or if there's just something slightly wrong, then we just have a chat and we yeah. kind of figure it out and work it through. Um, Absolutely. And look, I see someone as well. I just think it's you're having that space to, um, we can have our friends and our family we can be vulnerable with, but there's totally. something really powerful around having a professional who's in your corner, who'll call you out on your crap yeah. as well. Yes, exactly. Who'll call you out and go, well, that's probably not a great way to think about things. <laughs> or um, And as well, like sometimes we don't even really talk about anything in particular, but I have that space and, and to know that you have that space to talk to someone about that stuff. Um, that was really powerful for me, especially in the first few months of being a new parent as well. And, and certainly when I was trying to be an elite athlete and achieve on the world stage. Um, yeah. So I think, I think there's just such value in having that opportunity to talk to people. And like you said, just to have, um, someone who's separate from your, your family, um, is really important. Yeah. You, we were talking before and you were just talking about, um, there's, there's so much on your plate and really, really great stuff, but there's a, yeah. lot, of, a lot amongst the busyness. Mm. Have there been moments where you've had to, I guess, set your own boundaries and say no to things? And what kinds of things are you finding yourself saying no to? Yeah, um, that's such a, a, an interesting question and, and something that I've been really struggling with in the last few months because I've just gone back to work um, post-baby. Um, and I think one of the things that I found difficult when 
Poppy was sort of six, seven months, is trying to understand who I was now um, and and what I was trying to work towards. And, and you were telling me about um, understanding your why and why you're doing what you're doing, what my purpose is. And I know that part of my purpose is to be a wonderful mother and I want to be the best bloody mother I can be for my daughter. And that's, it's palpable, that yeah. emotion that physical, I have. Yeah, it? it's yeah. so physical and I feel it in my gut and in my heart that I just, that's what I really want to do. Um, and so part of me thought that that meant that I had to be a stay-at-home mum to be the best that I could be. So I'm constantly accessible to Poppy. And um, I came to a realisation, and this is for only for me, it, it's so individual and everyone experiences it different and has different dreams and passions and drives in life. But for me, I know that part of me being the best that I can be for Poppy is to make sure that I'm taking care of me and I have my own drives and, and passion and, and love and uh, goals. And I was a, you know, I was a person before Poppy came into this world. I was an individual who had dreams and aspirations. And that hasn't stopped just because I had a daughter. Um, and I think there is a balance to be struck between both. And it's a juggle and it's it's difficult <laughs> at times. Um, but I feel like we, we're getting to a, a really nice um, place with all of that balance. But um it is challenging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as much as we can say, oh, yeah, we want the two, there will be a day where you choose between, you know, going to, to preschool or, you know, yep. going and hanging out with, with Poppy and going to a to an interview or a meet. Like there will yeah. be these moments and well, these small I had decisions. To, one of the things I had to drop Poppy at um, daycare at 6.30 in the morning, so the earliest that you could drop a child off. Um, because I was going to do a photo shoot for the Queensland government as part of my mental health ambassador role. And there was none of her normal carers were in her room. There was no other babies in the facility at that point. She bawled her eyes out when I had to leave, but I had to rush off. Um, that was a really uh, difficult moment because <laughs> that was me choosing me mm. over you know, making sure that she was okay and obviously I called and made sure that she was okay. And she would have been fine. And she was fine <laughs> and she yeah. loves daycare and she loves the kids and she loves the carers. Um, but that was one of those moments where you kind of question why you're doing what you're doing. But um, I think, yeah, I think we all face the challenges of, of trying to manage that juggle and, and working out what we're, we're trying to achieve. And I know that there was another part to your question, but I can't. No, I think, oh, I think you've answered it beautifully. I, think. I just went off on a no, tangent. Like, yeah, no, it's such a, I've got a great friend of mine and she says that, you know, our kids look at, we look at our kids and we say, you know, what wild and amazing life are you going to have? Mm. And she actually says, you know what, our kids do the same for us. Yes. They look at you and they go, well, what wild and amazing life are you going to have? Yeah. And that's a and really beautiful isn't way. It beautiful. Like, yeah. So it's actually our awesome. role and responsibility also, yeah. as you say, to be the best versions of us to actually tap into what lights us up. Mm. So it's, it's beautiful that you've gotten to well, that. Yeah. And it's modelling that behaviour. If we um, think it's important for us to value us as people, um, you know, on all those levels, whether it be, you know, our physical appearance or our emotional um, strength um, and also working hard and trying to achieve goals. I think especially now as a mother of a, a little girl, 
I can't think of anything more than I I just want to give that to her. I want to model that and, and make sure that she values herself and thinks that she's worthy of going after any dream that she might have. Yeah, that's a pretty cool why. Yeah, <laughs> yes, totally. It's, it's a, a very cool why, why which is yeah. awesome. And I, you know, feel really lucky that I get to have that opportunity yeah. too. Livia, I feel like we could kind of keep going and keep going the conversations, <laughs> but I want to wrap up. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. Mm. Uh, when I say that term to you, what does it mean for you to live a standout life? Oh, that's an awesome question. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I think the, the, the why that I have in my life right now um, is to find your passion. Um, and I was really lucky that I had that from a really young age with my swimming. Um, but I'm also not foolish enough to think that I can't have another one. Um, you know, I, I, I want passion in my life. I want energy and I want love and I want joy. And um, I'm working on finding my next passion, which I, I believe is in that mental health, um, physical well-being space. It's just trying to work out how that will manifest itself and evolve <laughs> and, and come into my life. But um, I think living a standout life for me is really about finding the passion and living with the joy and, and the love of what you do. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I think a standout life should be beautiful. I'm sure the next adventures will be messy and perfect and fabulous all at once. (laughs) Thank you so much, Olivia. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. Stand Out is available in all good bookstores as of October 2016. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. This podcast was recorded and mixed by David Gaylard at Chemistry, music by Michael Dixon. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.